we have been looking at the disciples or sometimes referred to as the 12 apostles. Uh, we're getting near the end of it. Uh, we have done, we have talked, we've, we've broken them down into three groups of four. Uh, the first group is Peter is the head of it, and we've talked about how Peter uh, was kind of the head of all the disciples. He was one of the most outspoken. He's one of the one of the disciples that's talked about the most. We talked about how Peter uh, was kind of the leader of Peter, James, uh, and John, and uh, Andrew. And we talked about their influence. We talked about the second group, uh, which was, uh, let's see, Nathaniel, um, or Philip, and then Bartholomew, Thomas, and uh, uh, who's my last guy? Uh, Matthew, Bartholomew, Thomas, and Philip, yeah. And then last week, we dealt with the last group, we got in the last group, which is very not talked about a lot, but important lessons. So we're not going to, a lot of times when people are doing lessons or, or series on the disciples, they kind of group this last group together. And, and I'm not going to do that because I think there are lessons. I think Jesus chose each one of these 12 guys for a reason. And so I want to go through them individually. I want to give them the time and, and, and the lessons that we can get from their lives. And uh, actually, we're actually going to probably do 13 uh, because we'll also probably talk about Matthias, uh, who was chosen after Judas Iscariot, and then maybe even uh, some debate Paul, and we may add that one in a little bit too. So uh, we've got another couple of, uh, at least a couple of weeks to go here. We've talked about what we can learn from each one of them and, and, and lessons that help us. We talked about Peter, the idea that God, Jesus uses you as you, as you grow. A lot of people get this idea that once I've arrived, then Jesus can use me or God can use me. And, and, and Peter really is a great example of the idea of a work in progress. And he's somebody that just kind of plugged away, and Jesus uses him all the way along the way. We talked about Andrew and the idea of always bringing people to Jesus. We talked about James and John, who were pretty hot-headed. And, and James, um, James is, the idea with James was the idea that uh, he needed to temper his passion with mercy. And then we talked about John, who focused on truth, but uh, he added and, and, and was very, very uh, adamant about the idea of adding love to his message. Uh, then we got into some of the other guys. We talked about the idea of Philip, who uh, kind of missed the big picture, and sometimes that's easy to do. We talked about the idea of um, uh, Nathaniel, the idea of prejudice. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? We talked about Matthew, the tax collector. He's going to come important in our discussion today, but really considered a traitor because he was, he was a representative of Rome collecting taxes, and he's one of the last people you would ever expect um, to be a disciple. And then uh, we talked about Thomas, who often referred to as Doubting Thomas, but we talked about that heroic pessimism, that there's a guy who, was, who although he was continually questioning stuff, he was committed to Christ even if it meant dying. And then last week we talked about James the Last, the idea that uh, he introduces our last group of four, and it's the idea that um, he's not less because uh, he did less. He's less because he just wasn't talked about what he did. And we talked about the importance of the ordinary people in the kingdom of God and how important that is and that it's important that we, we pay attention to those kind of guys. This morning we're going to talk about a guy by the name of Simon, um, Simon is, um, and we're going to have to go a little bit of history, and then uh, we'll get into the application. 
Uh, Simon's really only mentioned in the lists of the disciples. Uh, but I want to look at this, this, this list because this, this is the one that probably gives us the most information about him in Luke chapter 6. And here's what Luke chapter 6 says. Uh, talking about the disciples. Uh, here are their names. Simon, also called Peter, Andrew, Simon's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus. That's um, the guy we talked about last week. And then Simon, a member of the Zealots, a subversive political party, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Now, uh, it's interesting. In uh, the other accounts, some of the other accounts, they don't, they don't say Simon the Zealot. They say Simon uh, the Canaanite. Sometimes people go, oh, that means he was from Canaan. No, it, Canaanite has the idea of zealous, so it was Simon the Zealous one. Uh, but... Luke here makes it very, very specific that he was a member of the Zealots, okay? And that tells us everything you need to know about Simon, that one little statement right there. Uh, So let me give you a little history, and then you can understand the significance of this little statement, okay? In the time of Jerusalem, the time of this whole area, it's under Roman control. So you need to think about this for a minute. So if you have a foreign occupier occupying your country, how do you handle that? I mean, this is Jewish land. Rome's in control. So how do you function as a Jewish person under a Roman rule? And you've got a couple of options. One is that you can join them. Uh, That's what Matthew does. Matthew says, you know what? All right, Rome's in charge. I'll just collect taxes for them. Might as well be on their side. So you can take that attitude. Uh, Paul, by the way, does that. Even though Paul's a Jew, Paul becomes a Roman citizen, which is even a whole other level of it um, as far as, you know, dealing with a foreign occupier. One thing you can do is you can tolerate them. You can figure out, you know what, i tell you what, they're here anyway, why don't I just do business with them? Um, these were what we called Hellenistic Jews, and they, they were a type of person. That's how they handled the Roman rule. Another group, they just simply ignored them. They're like, you know what, I'm going to do my thing, I'll let them do their thing, and, and we'll just try to not butt heads any more than we have to. The other group said you can fight them. Those were your zealots. And they were literally fighters. You see, in the Jewish world, there were, there were different responses to the idea of what the Bible taught. One group, the Pharisees, believed really strongly in the law. And so there was a group there that they, they were just doggedly, this is what the Bible says and this is what you ought to do. And they were the fundamentalists of the day. They had the Sadducees, which were kind of the liberals of the day. They were, they were people who were like, you know what, they didn't believe in the supernatural, they didn't believe in a resurrection. But the Sadducees had a lot of money and a lot of power. They're, they're the, by the way, the Pharisees and the Sadducees often conflicting with Jesus Christ. There's a third group that's not mentioned in the Bible, but we know of them historically, called the Essenes. The Essenes were the ascetics of the day. They were the people that pulled away from society, lived in their own little community, basically read and studied the scriptures, had nothing to do with people, lived a very, very simplistic lifestyle, but focused on the word of God. 
A lot of the reason you and I have our Bible today is is in large part due to the Essenes, because they were they were a part that pulled away from society and 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 really helped make sure that the Word of God stayed pure. The other group was the Zealots, and that's that's who Simon was part of. These people believed that Jesus was the or they believed in a Messiah, and they believed in God, and they took basically they were the the Far, far, far extremists. These were, in our culture, these would be, um, in our culture, this would be like somebody who has a concealed carry permit that carries two weapons on them at all times with three clips and a couple of knives just in case the weapons backfire or don't go off. I mean, these are guys who... They were always ready for a fight. They believed that God's kingdom was, that was everything. And so in their world, they believed that it was their job to make that kingdom and bring that kingdom, so to speak, to earth. And anyone who was going to subvert that or anyone who was going to be in the way of that needed to go. The zealots in this day were the Al-Qaeda of our day. Okay? I mean, that's how extreme these people were. Um, they were militant. They were violent. They saw Rome coming into Jerusalem area as a holy war. And so they would use terrorism. They used extreme acts of violence. In every sense, they were focused on the law. They would not compromise. They believed that they were God's representatives and that they actually served God by killing Roman soldiers. In fact, they had a group, a very, very select group among the zealots called the dagger men. And what these people would do is these people would carry within their cloak a a curved sword, a a curved knife deal. And what would happen is their, their, their idea was to incite Uh, chaos whenever they could. So if there was a scene going on, or sometimes they would create a scene, the dagger men would come up behind a Roman soldier. And they had perfected this to the point that they could come up behind a Roman soldier. They knew exactly how to push this knife in. It was curved enough that it would go in the back, go up and pierce the heart, and the soldier would, would die almost instantly. So these zealots would go around causing chaos. Well, you can imagine if there's a scene, the Roman soldiers come marching in and all of a sudden the crowd dissipates and there's a dead Roman soldier. What do you think that did? How do you think Rome handled that? How do you think Rome handled So these people were kind of under the radar kind of thing. They would often go in and burn and loot Roman places um, in order to cause chaos. And of course then Rome would get all upset and everything else. But they believed they were carrying out the work of God. They believed that they were bringing in and they were representing God. They had a number of unique beliefs. One of the things was that they believed that paying tribute to a king was an act of treason to God. So in other words, paying tribute to a king, that was an act of treason. Um, So think about this for a minute. When Jesus was picking his disciples, he picks one of these guys. Simon 
the zealot. In fact, what I didn't tell you is, in Matthew and Mark's account, when they list the disciples, you know who's listed before Judas Iscariot? As the last, Judas Iscariot's always the last one. Simon. Because again, what's Ma- who's Matthew? Matthew's a tax collector representing Rome. Simon the zealot is a guy who thinks that he's a traitor. He should be dead. Now, I really want this to sink in because I don't think we understand how big a deal this little thing, this little phrase here, Simon of the Zealots, means. By the way, when they come to Jesus and say, hey, should we pay tribute to Caesar? What's Simon the Zealot going to say? Not on your life. That's treason to God. What's Matthew going to say? You betcha. What does Jesus say? Whose image is on the coin? Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God's. Um, you know, it, 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 it's interesting because this guy is a disciple. This guy is a follower of Jesus Christ. This guy is one of the guys that Jesus picks handpicks to say when I'm gone I want you to take I want you to I want you to follow and, and and go after me history tells us he traveled all the way up to the British Isles um, eventually ends up in Persia and we believe that he was then martyred in Persia and actually uh, cut in half sawn in two um, so often in pictures if you ever see a picture of him he's often the one with the with a saw somewhere in the background so with that background in mind, now let's talk about what this means for us. Because I think, given where we are as a country, I think given where we are as a, as a nation, as a church, as a thing, I think there's some great lessons in here for us from, about Simon the Zealot. Okay? Here's one of the things you've got to understand. As a zealot, this guy would have been incredibly judgmental. You see, in Simon's world, everything was black and white. And in Simon's world, there was no gray at all. He immediately put people in a category. And in his world, if you weren't in his category, he had one of two jobs. Convert you or eliminate you. I mean, that's the way he solved the problem. That's the way he, that's the way they would deal with stuff. So, Rome is a threat to the kingdom and the Messiah. You know what? We're going to get rid of Rome. As a zealot, they, were, they, they tried to influence by terrorizing people. And, and we see this in our, in our, in our world. You know, we see people, um, and again, you know, I, I know for some of you, if you've traveled abroad, you understand this. But I remember, you know, our first trip, uh, my, my first trip outside the country back in 1979, I remember flying into an airport and seeing little towers going down the place where they had gun, where they had soldiers with, with, with guns. And that was a long time before, you know, we are where we are right now as a nation and as a, as a world. And yet, for some of us, you know, that's like, oh, no, no, you know, everything's, I mean, that's where we are. Um, but as a judgmental person, I mean, he rated everybody's spirituality. Um, now some of you are going to like this, but I like, I like this. 
Here's what one guy said. If Simon had a Facebook page today, it would be full of right-wing extreme religious propaganda that he or she would be convinced the phrase Christian Democrat is an oxymoron. In other words, he was so set in his ways that he believed you could only see it. If you're going to follow Jesus, it had to be this way. Some of you are going to like this, but I want you to understand what, what, what we learn about Simon here because I think it is so important for us here. What happens is we can take our prejudices and our beliefs, and if we're not careful, we overlay it on top of the Bible, and we make this Bible. Instead of focusing on the Bible, we overlay our belief system on top of it. So then, when we come to church, we believe that everyone, once they get their spiritual act together, will believe our political position. And that's not the way Jesus set up his disciples. On the one hand, Jesus has got a guy here who thinks Rome should be killed. We should kill Roman soldiers. On the other hand, he's got Matthew, who's saying, I'll collect taxes from, for, for Rome. Now, here's my question. How do these two, who are on absolutely political extremes, get along? What's the key? This is the, this is the lesson here for us as a culture and as a church. What's the key? They didn't focus on their political agendas. They focused on Jesus. You get that? They didn't focus on their political agendas. They focused on Jesus. And so when they came together, when they're sitting and listening, the focus is Jesus. The focus isn't what Simon wants. The focus is what Matthew wants. The focus isn't Simon trying to convince Matthew to see it his way or Matthew trying to convince Simon to see it his way. It's not the focus. You don't read of any of those stories in the New Testament, do you? And yet these guys hung together for three years. And when Jesus leaves, these guys are all gathered together, not separate. It's not... It's not all of a sudden one guy saying, okay, you know what? Jesus is gone. I'm going to go do my thing now. No, 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 no. Here's the thing. They focused on Jesus, and when they focused on Jesus, they put that other stuff to the side. And I think that is a phenomenal lesson for us. Because, you see, it's easy sometimes for us to think that when a person becomes a Christian, they're going to see everything the way we see it. And here's the thing. Here's what you're going to learn about Christianity. Christianity is so much bigger than that. See, we want to have a place here where if you're a Democrat or you're a Republican or you're an Independent or a Liberal or you don't even vote at all, when we get here, it's about Jesus. That's what it's about. 
you know. And I get people, oh, Pastor, you know, hey, you know, you know, can we like put out the flyers to tell everybody how everybody voted and da da da? da? No. Why? Because it's not about Jesus. That makes sense. See, that's the thing you learn about Simon the Zealot. That's the thing that you see in this idea. You go, now you saying you don't? We don't have any discussions about politics or stuff like that. Oh no, no, no. you need to come here on Tuesday or Friday. Hey, we have a lot of great discussions, and then we go back out there and work for Jesus. Okay, it's not about that, and we have people on both ends of the spectrum, and that's okay, because you know what? It's not about that stuff. And when people come in here, we don't want people to come in here and go, okay, now we're going to pose, we're going to tell you what your view should be. No, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell you what Jesus says, and we're going to tell you what the Bible says, and that's what we expect you to do. What does Jesus do? That's exactly what he does. Hey, do we pay tribute to Caesar or not? Let me tell you something. The Pharisees had a belief. The Essenes had a belief. The Sadducees had a belief. The Zealots had a belief. And Jesus looks at them and goes, okay, I'll solve this really simple. By the way, that's why it's easy to understand why Simon was so attracted to Jesus. Because, see, the zealots, they started out in Galilee. Where was Jesus from? Galilee. They were looking for a Messiah. And, and what does Jesus talk about all the way along the way? A kingdom, a kingdom, a kingdom. But see, if you're Simon the Zealot, Jesus is teaching, and he talks about, you want to be first? Go be last. When he looks at him and goes, look, I, I, I didn't come to bring a sword. I came to bring peace. Simon the Zealot in his political position is going, nah, I don't know if I can go there yet. I'm surprised when at the Gethsemane that it's Peter who grabs a sword to whack off Malchus's ear, honestly. Because Simon the Zealot is more like the guy who should have probably done it because that's that was I mean that was his deal. So apparently either either Simon was more hot headed than him or or Peter had, was more hot headed or Simon had come such a long way. And so I I want to say it because I think there's something to be learned here. Here's another thing. Jesus saw the potential in Simon. See, when I tell you all that stuff about the zealots, all, you t- all you're thinking about is, man, that guy, did, I mean, that, that, that's just a bad group. I mean, can you imagine me going, hey, guys, hey, you know, we're, we're glad to have Alibaba here who is here this morning from Al-Qaeda and has been great, been privileged to join us today. He's going to be here for the next year. You're <laughs> going, oh, no, 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 no. No, Alibaba, bye-bye, Alibaba. Um, but Jesus doesn't do that. You see, Jesus looks past and sees something far deeper in his life. What Jesus sees is a guy who's passionate. Misguided, but he's passionate. A guy who has a zeal, who has a drive. By the way, the zealots... They considered it a great honor to die in pursuing the kingdom. They thought nothing of martyrdom. To them, if they had killed a Roman soldier and they had gotten caught and they had died at the hand of Rome, 
that was a feather in their cap. So they were committed to the death. Jesus saw that. Jesus saw that kind of loyalty and that kind of commitment, that kind of courage, that kind of zeal. And I'm sure, and by the way, um, I'm sure when Jesus looks at Simon the Zealot, Matthew is going, Whoa, you know, uh, Jesus, can we have a little talk over here? What do you think the other disciples said when Jesus looked at Matthew and said, Hey, Matthew, come follow me. I'm sure the other disciples are going, Jesus, wait a minute, you know, the, the, He's a tax collector. Man, I mean, we don't need, We put them in a whole category past sinner. I mean, there's like sinners and then there's tax collectors. And you want him to be part of our group? And I'm sure when Jesus looks at Simon and says, Hey, Simon, you come and follow me too. I'm sure Matthew's going, Hey, Jesus, wait a minute. He and I are going to have a problem. You know, Jesus sees the potential in this guy. Here's another interesting little sidelight. Often when Jesus sent out the disciples, he sends them out how? Two by two. Want well, know who most people think Simon the Zealot was paired with? Judas Iscariot. That's, that's, how, that's how people tended to look at the Zealots, as that extreme and we don't know that for sure, but a lot of people believe, a lot of commentators believe that that's, the, that, that that's who they were paired with when they went out two by two. But see, Jesus looks past all that because you know what? And, and, and this is the thing I want you to see, understand. Jesus realizes that it wasn't about inviting them, committing them to join a cause. It was about inviting him to join a person. And that's the difference. See, Simon was driven by hate. And Jesus understood, if I could channel that in a different direction, you can instead be driven by love. Can I tell you what I think one of the biggest issues we have going on politically right now? And this is what bothers me. And even with some Christian organizations. It's driven by hate. It's driven by what's wrong with the other group. And, and I'm afraid what's happened is we've so focused on, I have a, a friend of mine who's a, who is um, dean of fine arts at a, at a college, and he's a communication guy, and he, he was talking about the idea that a, a book that he read, and he said one of the things that's happened in our culture, and again, it's a speech thing, but he said in the speech world, he said, we, we have gotten into the attitude, this idea here about the versus I, it was the thing. And he said, he said, when you start looking at, at at people from that perspective, he said, it changes the whole communication process. And basically, what what he's saying is this: when you become so focused on what's wrong with the other person, you're driven by hate and you're driven by negative. That was Simon. But Jesus realized, I can take that same hate. And I can take that same criticism, and I can take that same negative, and if you will follow me, I will turn it into love. And you find a guy who changes his life to the point that he's no longer driven by hate, but instead he's driven by love. Like I say, at Gethsemane, he's not the guy to pull out the sword. 
And I think there's something to be said for that. And I think one of the things that we have to understand, and, and this is why it's so important for us to understand as a church, the focus has to be Christ. When people come in here, I'm not trying to get them to commit to a cause. It's not my agenda. I'm trying to invite them to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the difference. And the call to Christianity is a call to a relationship with Christ, not a, co a, a commitment to a call or, or, or a call to a commitment that way. But it's about a personal relationship. It's not about an organization. It's not about a structure. It's not about those kinds of things. And I, I think it's so important that you see that in the life of Simon. And you need to understand that when Jesus looks at you and when Jesus looks at me, he sees our potential. All those things that you think about yourself that are negative, you understand your greatest weakness is your greatest strength? You get that, right? You understand that your negatives are really your positives? Okay? Personal. You know what one of my negatives is? I can be pretty blunt. You know, there's not going to be a lot of, if you have any kind of lengthy discussion with me at all, you're pretty much going to know where I stand. I'm not going to be around the bush. I'm not going to try to paint it all pretty. I, I'm just going to put it out there, and then you have to deal with it. That's not always a good thing. Okay? It's not always a good thing. Want to know what one of my strengths is as a pastor? Preaching? I'm just going to put it out there. You have to deal with it. You go, yeah, I really like that. I really like that. Well, you, believe me, if you were my wife, you wouldn't like that all the time. Okay? Because sometimes I can be pretty blunt, you know, with her. Um, when, when I probably need to be a little more back it off a little bit. Um, but, but again, your strength is your weakness, and that's the way life is. And Jesus looks at Simon, and he sees the potential, and he says, man, I can use that. Just let me direct it towards me, and I can change the world. And this guy becomes, he takes that passion, and when you actually look at some of the places that he goes after the, after the resurrection of Christ, he goes all over, does all kinds of things. Um, and the last thing is this. You've got to realize, when we follow Jesus, we've got to put aside our own little agendas. You haven't figured out yet, it's not about you, not about me, it's about Jesus. And I would challenge you in the days ahead to remember that. Because if you think now that the election's over, that things are going to calm down, really, I'd love to live in your fantasy land because that would be awesome. But the bottom line is it's a spiritual battle. It's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. It's not going to get prettier. It's going to get uglier. You know, people aren't going to all of a sudden wake up one day and go, oh, good, everything's great now. No, it's not going to be that way. And what you have seen is the tip of the iceberg. Unfortunately, this past year is the tip of the iceberg of what's to come. And you're going to see it get more and more divisive, and you're going to see people get more and more angry, and you're going to see people get more and more frustrated. You're going to see people get do more and more stupid things. And it's going to be everything in your power to step back and go, you know what? I got to remember I'm a Christian, and I got to remember that this person I'm talking to, I want to be able to reach for Christ, 
And I got to remember that I want to be able to put Christ at the center of my relationship with them, not the politics, not the agenda, not the stuff. And that, my friend, is going to be very, very hard. But when you have that tendency to... I came this close yesterday. You know, I've been, I've been working on this all week, so I knew what I was going to preach. And, and whenever that happens, and what, what Satan does is he, he knows how to push your buttons, and this person was pushing my buttons. Okay? It was an online thing, and they just kept hammering and hammering and hammering. Finally... I got. I had something. Actually, I had some typed out, and I went, "Okay, you can't do that." Um, so I went on and just unfollowed them. That was my de- way to deal with it for right now. They're still my friend, but I just unfollowed them, so I don't have to keep seeing that stuff. Uh, but because I still want to be able to reach him for Christ, and that's more important to me than my cause or my political agenda or my political beliefs or whatever else or my prejudices or bias or whatever it is. That's what we got to keep in mind. And that's the lesson from Simon. Is that when Simon and Matthew commit to following Jesus, that stuff goes off to the side. Still important to them. They still have their opinions. They still, I'm sure they had some great discussions but that wasn't front and center. Jesus was. And I think that's what we got to remember. And so I, I want to challenge you because we're heading into a time where I'm, I'm convinced as, a, as, as Christians, we have an incredible opportunity in front of us if we don't blow it because of our zeal. And as Scripture says, you know, um, zeal without wisdom very dangerous thing. A very dangerous thing. And we don't want to go there. And for those of you who you, you go, well, you know, I'm like Simon the Zealot. Great. Great. There's a lot of potential for you. Okay? Uh, just make sure you're following Christ. Okay? And, and keep that the focus. So here's where we here's where I end it this way. Jesus chose Simon the Zealot because he focused on his potential, not his shortcoming. He does the same thing with you. He can take the negatives in your life and refocus them in a healthy, positive direction if you are willing to follow him with your whole heart and be very careful of your biases. Allow him to use you this week and keep the focus on him. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, it's easy to get excited about things that sometimes, Lord, just sidetrack the gospel. Lord, it's easy sometimes in our, in our zeal and our excitement and our passion for something that, Lord, we lose sight of what's really important. Lord, thanks for choosing a guy like Simon. Lord, there's not a person in here that would have chosen someone like this. But, Lord, you are so much wiser and so much better than we are to know, Lord, uh, the story behind the story. So, Lord, help us. Help us to be able to have that zeal for our opinions and, and biases and beliefs, but, Lord, to keep you at the center of it all. And when it is all said and done, Lord, may the world see Christ in us, and, uh, Lord, may the world be able to look at us 
and realize that there is something much greater there because of Christ in us. And we will give you the honor and glory and the praise these things we ask in your name. Amen. Uh, let's stand and uh, we're going to sing the first verse. Uh,